we have been in a series we've been calling In Not Of. And if you are a visitor this morning, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but the truth is we believe that uh, the people who God calls and who choose to follow Jesus were, were called to be in the middle of the world, in the middle of our culture. We're not supposed to run away from it, but we are supposed to live differently. There should be something different about how we approach life because of our faith in Jesus and because of our experience of being loved and rescued by God. And it's been a rich series. Uh, we've talked about what it means to think about how we use our money and how we think about politics and how we approach our enemies and how we think about hope. And this morning, my job is to help us think about the last subject in that series, death. Now, I have to tell you, the studies show we have a lot of anxiety about death. In fact, some of you, the fact that I keep saying death is already making you nervous. I understand that. In fact, I can appreciate this great quote from Woody Allen. Not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah, right? And yet, it's interesting because the scriptures say over and over again, death has lost its sting. And so how do we live as people in this world who have to face death and eventually die, but we do it differently? And so I thought this morning it would be good to actually look at someone who had done it and done it well. This guy named Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open to Matthew 26, if you would. Um, if you don't have your Bible, you can just follow along on the screen. But we pick up the story. Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion. He goes to this garden to pray. And I want you to pay attention to how Jesus handles himself in this moment begins, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I want to start by saying it's normal to be afraid of death. It's normal to be nervous about the process of dying. You know, one of the things that struck me about this passage we just read is that Jesus, the Son of God, who has actually been predicting his death and resurrection, is afraid. Notice the passage used words like, he said, I'm sorrowful, I'm overwhelmed. He falls to the ground. And another passage even says, he sweats blood. That, people, is some anxiety. And so one of the things that helps me is to understand that death 
naturally produces anxiety because it is an unnatural act. Let me say that again, because I want you to hear clearly, we were not originally created to die. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, we were created to have eternal fellowship with God and with each other. That was the original plan of God. And what happened is that as humans, we said we know better, we rebelled, and actually as a result of that, death is a consequence of our brokenness. It was never the original plan. Now that helps me because what it tells me is that when I experience that sense that something wrong has happened when somebody dies, it's true. It was not how things were meant to be initially. And in fact, even if people are older, there is a way that death is always an enemy to our humanity. So if you've been told that death is a good thing and some part of you has wrestled with that, guess what? God would say that too. We were not created for death. And so it's natural and human to be concerned about it. There's a great book called When Breath Becomes Air by a brain surgeon by the name of Paul Colantini. And he says this, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he says, before my cancer was diagnosed, I knew that someday I would die, but I didn't know when. After my cancer was diagnosed, I knew that someday would, I would die, but I didn't know when. But now I knew it acutely. The fact is, death is unsettling, yet there is no other way to live. Death is unsettling. It is anxiety-producing. And so one of the things I have to, we have to think about is what then do we do with that fear? If it's natural and normal to be afraid of dying, how do we engage it? And let me just say, I think our culture does not do a great job of engaging our fear of death. See, apart from God, our fear drives us to try and control what is uncontrollable. In other words, we spend all kinds of energy and resources working to either avoid death, pretend we're not aging, control the environment so that somehow, miraculously, we could beat the odds. Now, a lot of that we don't do consciously. We do it subconsciously. Let me give you some examples, I think, that would help you see how maybe as a culture we do this. Ladies, the average woman spends $15,000 in her lifetime on makeup. Did you know that? 3000 on mascara alone, right? We spend a lot of money trying to, like, look all fantastic. Guys, before you get too cocky, just let me be clear. Men last year spent $6.9 billion on grooming products. That's a lot of money. We are deeply invested, right, as a culture in youth and youthfulness and looking young. I am deeply invested in looking young. One of the 
had an encounter with my 13-year-old daughter around this. Uh, some of you heard me say this. I was starting to notice the gray, right? Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. And so I was starting to fuss about it and was thinking, you know what? I think it's time. I'm going to start you know, coloring my hair. And I happened to mention this, mention this over dinner. And my daughter, who was 13, looked at me and said, absolutely not. Like with that definitive tone. And I was a little taken aback. I thought, well, what, what do you mean? And she said, I quote, Mom, you are the most authentic person I know. Why would you pretend you aren't aging? I was like, okay then, right? Now, let me be clear. I, it's more nuanced than that. She and I have had a good conversation about it. I have permission to dye my hair if I want to now. But you know what? It caught me. Because what I realized is she was right. I want to pretend like I'm not aging. And there's a way that coloring my hair would do that. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. Hear me. I'm saying it's what it's doing underneath that I think we have to be attentive to. And we have to recognize this is rampant in our culture. It is not okay to age. Now, I think this also has another way we notice it. How many of you in this room, raise your hands, are old enough to remember playing in the back window of a car? Oh, yeah, right? I mean... There was a whole generation of us that like slept in the wheel well on trips, right? I know some of you can't even fathom that. I have vivid memories of a car, uh, car trip to California from Nebraska with my family. And like we were in every nook and corner of that car. It's a really good thing we didn't have cell phones because at one point my mother tried to get from the front seat to the back seat to take care of my brother, got her foot hooked in the seat belt and ended up straddled across as we were going 80 miles an hour in Wyoming, right? I mean, when you think about it, it's like craziness. And I want to say something very clearly today. I'm a fan of seatbelts, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't be safe. But I wonder if we've swung a little too far and we have become obsessed with the possibility that we can create a safe enough environment that there is never harm. We have an expectation that somehow... It is safe enough that we could avoid death. And I don't think that's true. And in fact, I think if you read the scriptures, I don't know that safety is one of Jesus' highest priorities. Let me take us another direction. What about the medical industry? Right? This creates a lot of dilemmas for the medical industry and for us as people who live and go to hospitals. The technology now is so significant that we are capable of keeping our bodies alive well past when they would naturally die. At what cost and at what quality of life? And yet, that's the expectation anymore, right? And that creates all kind of complicated realities for us as a culture. But the rule, the underlying rule, is that death 
should be avoided at every single cost, even if it's artificial. And that, that creates a lot of weight for those of us who walk in that. And don't get me started on the funeral industry, okay? Now, let me say, there are wonderful funeral directors, and they provide an excellent service. However, the whole industry is built on making it look that the people, like the people we love went to sleep. Not that they died. Think about that. All of it is, we spent all this energy and all this money and all of this fear trying to avoid the simple reality that we are going to die. And I think we saw it even this, in the last couple of weeks, right? I think part of the reason Kobe Bryant's death struck such a nerve, I'll get my words out, is because on some level we believe that if we have enough money and enough talent and enough celebrity, it will protect us. And if one of the most talented, wealthy, gifted men in our country can die, what does that say about me? And so it doesn't work because that's the crazy part. See, we, we spend all of this energy trying to keep ourselves safe and trying to keep ourselves looking young. Only the research shows the more we do that, the less safe we feel, the less attractive we feel. It's like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. All it does is make it worse. And that's the danger of how the world approaches death. But Jesus, Jesus modeled something different. I want you to see it this morning. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now I want you to notice two things about what Jesus does here. The first is he's honest with God about what he wants, right? Jesus brings his fear to God and says, hey, if I get a vote, I'd like to not have to suffer. I'd like to not die. I'd like to bypass this if we could. And it's amazing to me that Jesus models that. And so it's okay to pray for healing. It's good to pray for healing. It's good to pray that God would meet us and Avoid death in this particular instance, whatever you are praying. And yet, Jesus owns what he wants, and then he says, but I want what you want, God. And he practices letting go and trusting God in the midst. See, Jesus recognizes he doesn't get to control whether he lives or dies. What he can control is whether he surrenders. See, in his humanity, Jesus does what we have to do. He shares his fear with God. He surrenders and trusts himself to the power and the promises of God. And if Jesus does it and comes to model that for us, then that's, I think, a way we can begin to cope with the reality of death. Here's the truth. The beauty is Jesus models for us 
that in his res resurrection, there is an upside down nature to the kingdom. Death and all its unknown through the power of Jesus leads to life. And that's the beauty of why we can begin to embrace and not run from death. You know, I went to Haiti about a year ago. And I've never been to Haiti. The uh, airport is a chaotic mess. I uh, would never want to navigate it alone, ever. Frankly, it made me anxious. But I wasn't terrified. Do you know why? Because I was in that airport with people who'd been to Haiti before. I was in that airport with Verge Dykstra. Any of you know Verge Dykstra? Verge Dykstra is like seven, nine, or six, four, or I mean, he's super tall. He's way taller than I am. And so I, I just kept thinking, if nothing else fails, I can find Verge. I can find Verge, right? And that's what Jesus says to us. God in his mercy said, I know this is going to be terrifying for you. And so I'm going to send my son who is in your nature and in mine. And he's going to show you the way. And so you fix your eyes on him because he's done this. And he beat it. And so we have a trusted guide who we can follow through death. But I still think there's a practical reality to this. How do we, what do we do with our fear of death so that we might be able to die well? Well, I've got some good news and some bad news, and they are the same news. Practice makes perfect. Uh, if I told you today you had to run a marathon, how many of you could do it? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, I for sure could not. I don't even think I could run a mile right now, and I totally couldn't do it in these boots. Um, but if I told you two years from now, I want you to be ready to run a marathon, could you do it? Probably. Uh, it was interesting, at the other campus, we have a gentleman who not only runs marathons, he runs triathlons. He does triathlons, okay? So uh, I asked him, how many miles a day do you run? A day. Guess how many miles a day he runs? He runs six. That's his light day. But that's what you have to do if you want to run a triathlon. And he said he trained for a year and a half before he ran his first marathon. Friends, if we want to die well, if we want to be able to approach death without fear, then we need to get busy and start practicing daily. It's why Jesus, I think, said to his disciples, some of you will recall this verse, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Because Jesus recognized we're going to need to die a little bit every day so that we can be ready when the moment in fact, he goes on to say, if you do that, if you will lose your life daily, if you will practice letting go of your agenda, if you will let go of your fear, you'll find your life. Because as you practice death, 
you'll also get to experience resurrection. Now, there are some tangible ways we can do that. We're actually coming into the season of Lent, which is designed by its nature to help us practice letting go. Ash Wednesday, the service that we're going to have here in 10 days, you will come forward, you will receive ashes on your forehead, and you will hear the words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Tangibly, you'll be reminded, you are mortal. And that is an important thing to practice. Another discipline that many of us experience around Lent is something called fasting, right? The letting go or surrendering of something we love that we use to feed ourselves, like social media or desserts or food. And the practice of fasting, right, is daily choosing not to satisfy my own desires, but to let go. That's a simple way you can practice it. A lot of actually the Christian practices that are ancient and uh, long held invite us to practice letting go of our agenda. If I get up every morning and read my Bible instead of picking up my phone, I'm practicing letting go of what I would naturally want to do and getting into the Word. Or praying or giving generously when I would want to hold on to my resources, right? Those are all opportunities every day to die a little bit. Or, uh, let's be honest, our relationships offer us lots of opportunities to die. Have any of you ever been in a marriage? Yeah, you laugh. It's true. You want to learn to die? Be in a healthy marriage where you put the other person first, where you choose to sacrifice so that the other person can thrive. How many of you have ever been a parent? You want to learn to die? Be a parent. You want to learn to let go of your sleep. You want to learn to let go of your money. Do you want to learn to let go of your time for the sake of others, right? I'm a parent right now. We are a parent of two young adults. I am letting go all the time. I'm letting go of my picture of what their future will look, go, look like. I'm letting go of my agenda of where I want them to live. Somehow they do not think next door is a good idea. Right? I have to let go. One of our children is talking about going to Jerusalem for the summer for an archaeological dig. I have to let go of my fear about that because God might be inviting her to that. And she's not mine anymore. And I got to let go. I, there are opportunities all around us. Friends, I mean, we can let go of our stuff. Did you know the Swedish have something they call the Swedish death cleanse. When you hit uh, later maturity, like 60s, they have, a, they have a practice. You clean your home as if you were going to die tomorrow. You get rid of the things that you recognize you no longer need so that the people behind you won't have to do it. And you declutter, Right? Some of you are like, whoa, 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 I was okay until you talked about my stuff. Right? That's the, but see, that's the trick. There are, we're all going to have different things. 
different places where we hold on to and we try and push away and we try and create security and gently and graciously, if we keep coming to Jesus, he keeps helping us let go. It might mean at school you let go of your desire for popularity to stand up for somebody who's being bullied. It might be at work you have to let go of your ego so that somebody else can take credit for the project that you really worked on. It means letting go and dying to your desire to have revenge and choosing forgiveness instead. It, there are all kinds of opportunities, my friends. But here's the beauty. Again, if we keep letting go and if we keep choosing death, we also get to keep choosing resurrection. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians 15. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. And with all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, the kingdom, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. As we close this series, I just want to invite you. The beauty and the complexity of the kingdom of God is that God's ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And the way to life is actually through death, letting go and trusting that he is faithful and he will be with us in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the death, in the midst of the loss. And that, that is where we find life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have come and you have vanquished our ultimate enemy. And you have said to us, don't be afraid. I know the way. Pray that you would help us day by day to let go, to surrender, to find our life in you, to not hold on to our life because we lose it, but to keep pouring out for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your life. God, we love you. And I pray that more and more we would be a people who would carry your life and your resurrection power into the dark and into the difficult places in our world to bring your kingdom. And all God's people said, amen.